Before we dive in this week, uh, as many of you know, we've been having some issues with the equipment that we use to record the podcast. We discovered when we'd finished that there were 20 or 30 sections where we had some kind of interference. We're trying to figure out what it was. In order to get this published tonight uh, on time, um, I went ahead and cut those out. There might be several points throughout the episode where uh, a sentence is cut off earlier, a word is kind of cut off weird. We're working to resolve it, um, trying to find some space in the budget to buy some proper stuff. Uh, as always, we appreciate it. We hope you guys uh, uh, enjoy the episode. it's been another uh, week of writing. At the close of last week's episode, uh, we encouraged everyone to go out and enjoy the, the beautiful fall weather, uh, get some writing in. Uh, and like, I, I took Dan up on that. I've had just the most amazing week of writing. Uh, I felt sick for a lot of it. And even still, like, I've been having such a good time. You know, like writing around yesterday, it was just like heavenly. It was so beautiful. But it was kind of almost surprising how empty some of the trails were. And, you know, like we did a, a skyline ride last week and like hardly anyone showed up and we just had such an awesome time. And like, I'm like, you guys, this is not. It's yeah. always odd to me because it does seem like in the fall things drop off for people. I'm like, this is no, this the is, time This of is year. the time to be out riding. It's like, prime. Like if you're not out right now, what you are you are just missing out. Yeah. Um, uh, lots to go over in the, the world of cycling today. We don't have a ton of uh, local news. Uh, there were some folks who raced Nike yesterday. Uh, bravo to them. Um, we don't have a whole lot of highlights to run over there. Again, we're going to say um, we have highlights for the people that we like know, people who tell us, you know, like if you had a great race, let, let us, us know. know. We, we want to highlight you. Yeah. This team is just too big for us to like highlight every, everyone every single time. Uh, it will not look presumptuous or anything of you to tell us like I had a really good race. Like, like or you if know. you're a parent, you can you can tell about yeah. your kid that had a good race and hundred percent. And we won't embarrass you. Hundred so. percent. Yeah. Um, I do want before we do our deep dive today. We there's quite a lot to talk about in the um, uh, the the wider world of cycling. Um, we should start, and this probably isn't the event most people are going to be talking about, but the final monument of the year has come and gone. Lombardia, which is a one-day Italian race. Um, if you aren't familiar, monuments are the big five one-day races in cycling. Uh, Tade Pogacar won his third Lombardia in a row, absolutely chewed up the competition. No one was on even really close. He, he was able to kind of have a nice slow roll in and celebrate, hands in the air, everything. Uh, no women's Lombardia uh, yet, uh, which is going to be a bit of a theme for today's episode. That's one thing that I do want to chat about. Um, particularly in regards to the event that I think most people will be talking about, which is the second ever Gravel World Championships. Uh, gravel now being a UCI-recognized discipline, there is a rainbow jersey up for grabs. Uh, this year's race was in uh, Veneto, Italy, and it was almost like a mountain bike stage. In a lot of ways, like a, like a people compared it to like a cross-country marathon course. Tons of climbing, real proper dirt. Last year, the UCI caught a lot of flack because they're quote-unquote gravel race was really just a road race with a couple of, you know, unpaved bits. Um, uh, but I think the biggest story, and unfortunately in a lot of ways to come out of it, is that, uh, well, you could watch a broadcast of the men's race 
there was no broadcast of the women's world championship race. And that sucks. Yeah, like, I want to jump good. into that before anything. That sucks. And, and a little bit of background. The story, as, as the UCI is telling it, is that they don't actually organize the race. They sanction it. And the people who were organizing the race said that they weren't interested in broadcasting the women's race because they, they, no one would sponsor it. They were, or because they said, for whatever reason, they weren't financially able to do it. So I kind of wanted to jump into that before anything else this week because that, like, pardon my French, that blows that we have, like, a, a world championship, an elite world championship level event with world-class competition, and we can't get it broadcast. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, like, like that, I, I, I yeah, is it, like, does this suck is bad? I don't know, am I, am I freaking out about this? Like, I think this sucks pretty bad. Yeah, and it does suck. I, th- I think the kind of silver lining is that it's brought a lot of attention to it. You know, um, I, I saw a lot about it. On, a lot of people are just upset about it in social media and so forth. So I think the attention that it brought to it is, is good because I think out of a lot of sports, um, Cycling's one that has really good parity with men and women's, you know. Comparatively, because because yeah. that's and, and I, I get the point you're making. Because well, especially to like, with with cross country mountain biking. Sure, I mean if you're comparing NBA to WNBA, hundred percent cycling's doing better than they are. You know, like there's not a women's equivalent of the NFL. There's not, you know, I don't know if there's women's major league baseball. I've never heard of it as like a non baseball fan, and it's like I think in cycling we're doing a lot of things right, but it is frustrating that so many people will like talk about oh we're doing this and that for, for the sake of women's cycling but i'm like we can't broadcast a world championship event you know like and, it, and if it was like some rinky dink little race in holland that three people have ever heard of and the men's race is barely broadcast and there's like two women's teams showing up i'd be like okay you know maybe it just isn't feasible that sucks but whatever but like this is the world's and the UCI really, it seems like they had this statement where they're kind of trying to be like, oh, well, we don't actually, we just sanction it or whatever. And then my whole takeaway from that is like, then why should we care about the rainbow jersey? Like, why should the UCI mean anything if you can't? And you know, like my takeaway from this is like, if you're like a young, a, a young girl, you know, who's getting into cycling, like if you're a burgeoning cycling fan and you see this, like, what's the, what's the takeaway for mm-hmm. you? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think my takeaway personally would be like, oh, so like, you know, women's cycling is this nice little, like, aesthetic, you know, like, ooh, like, oh, yep, women can do this too. Isn't that cute? Okay, let's go focus on the real thing. We'll broadcast the men's race, you know. Um, so that sucks. Yeah. So, like, I say keep keep the pressure on, you know. Like, I, I guess all you can do is maybe be a keyboard warrior here, but, like, speak mm-hmm. up. You know, like, I'm not going and liking the UCI's post. Like, oh, congratulations to the women, women's race. I'm like, that coming from you guys? Really? You know, like, you shouldn't be able to, like, market this. That sucks. Um, I should say, and we should have mentioned this before, enormous congratulations to the winner, uh, Kasia Nuyadama uh, of Poland, a real veteran. She's been, kind of had one of those has had one of those careers defined by a lot of second places. She's been second to a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, she's come just agonizingly close to winning so many big things. This was actually her first gravel race. Oh, awesome. Oh, really? Which is interesting. What I discipline think, does she race? Is it roadie? She's a roadie. She's okay. a roadie. Um, and I do kind of think that's an interesting thing to talk about here is like, you know, the gravel world championships, I still kind of think are unbound. And that's the point I was going to say too. Yeah. I, I think this is something that not a lot of people take super seriously anyway. Yeah. Because they, they treat unbound more as the world championship, which granted the thing with unbounded though, is like it, it attracts a, a world-class 
set of writers, but, but like, not from all, but, but not everyone from not, around the world but, is coming. You know, and and I'm sorry, like I I feel very comfortable saying that Wout Van Art would clean up Unbound, no sweat. You know, um, not, not to take anything away from like the North American crowd. So like I think it's the gravel's kind of this in this weird place where like. There is the UCI finally has a, a rainbow jersey for gravel, and it is an own its own discipline in its own right. But then it's kind of like, you know, I I don't know how many people will have heard of this race. I know a lot of people, maybe even outside of cycling, have heard of Unbound though. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I think it's an interesting thing to talk about. But um, I I did want to highlight um, we had some really strong showings from American riders. Uh, Lauren Stevens, in particular, uh, sixth place oh, nice. uh, from EF uh, Tibco, and then uh, we had uh, a number of other uh, women's racers in uh, in the kind of top fifty. Uh, there was uh, Sarah Strum in sixteenth, um, I believe. Uh, Paige Onweller was thirty ninth, and then you had. Did uh, Hannah Otto race this race? I don't believe so. Okay. I don't think so. We had Heidi Franz in um, uh, 43rd, and then uh, Crystal Anthony uh, in 44th. Uh, the men's race was was really interesting, too. Um, uh, really, you know, and uh, kind of the point we were saying, like, really a, a true world-class uh, set of riders. Uh, the, the winner, I think, very deservingly is Matej Mohoric, who's someone that we've been following for a long time. He was one of the first pros I followed on Strava back when he was on Cannondale. Uh, he's the guy who won Milan Sanremo with the dropper post. Uh, mm. Incredibly good bike handler, one of the strongest riders in the world. Uh, crashed and still won. Oh wow! So pretty dominant. Uh, the the pre race favorite I think was Wout Van Aert. He he had some bad luck. I think crashed out. He finished um, uh, still in the top ten and eighth, which is impressive on a course with so much climbing for such a big guy. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Matej Mohoric, very you know well deserved win there. The one thing I do want to talk about though um, is is that our very own Keegan Swenson uh, managed a top five. That's awesome. Which is crazy, and he he got that that fifth. He he lost the sprint for for fourth against all time cycling great and former road world champion Alejandro Valverde. And you, Dan, as a very casual road cycling fan, will know that name. Like you've you've heard Valverde before. Like that is a grade A name brand cycling name. He is one of the all-time greats. Uh, there was a period of a few years, I think, um, during Valverde's road career where he was just the highest ranked overall in terms of the UCI points uh, system, was the highest ranked cyclist in the world. And uh, to see our local boy Keegan sprinting uh, against Valverde was pretty cool. So huge props to Keegan. Uh, the riders who finished ahead of Keegan were Alejandro Valverde, Connor Swift, Florian Vermeersch, and Mate Mahoraj. And those are like A-tier heavy, heavy hitters, you know. So really, really cool there. Uh, I, I did want to throw out, um, uh, we also had uh, Alexi Vermeulen uh, was 33rd. Zach Colton was 35th. Okay, that's awesome. That's really, yeah, that's really, deal. really awesome. Like Zach, and, and he, that's impressive too because Zach has a full-time job. You know, like he is not, uh, he doesn't have the benefit of, of a lot of these guys mm-hmm. where like they collect a big fat paycheck and training's everything. You know, Zach is probably the highest ranked writer wow. on this list with a day job. Former Nike writer. Former Nike writer beating out like, uh, like I'm just scrolling through it, like beating out Nico Roach, beating out, uh, let's see some other really big names in here. Uh, there's a there's a uh, Ivar Silk, former winner of Unbound. You know, um, there's a really cool picture of Zach 
right on Wout Van Aert's wheel, which is insane wow, to think about. <laughs> yeah, it's probably pretty intimidating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but huge shout out to all the American racers. Oh, the one other racer I do want to shout out, not an American racer, racing under the Argentinian fa- uh, flag. Uh, uh, Sofia uh, Villafane uh, had a rough day. I think she was in the 30s somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, did want to shout her out. I was kind of, I think a lot of people were expecting her to be, you know, mixing it up in the top 10. Um, given the season that she's had, but I think another great example of like the season is long, cycling's unpredictable. Sometimes you have bad days, and I don't think any less of her as a rider for you know, uh, 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 you know, not not notching that sort of result. You know, because I think a lot of people have that where they're like, I'm on top of the world, everything's going great this season, and then you know, what? you just have some days that are unexplainably lackluster. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Like uh, pretty much every one of my days. Well, so. I was going to say, those aren't unexplainably lackluster. I think there's a distinction <laughs> there's there. There's a perfectly good explanation for Oh, it. yeah. But, yeah, a uh, uh, really interesting event. I don't know what the future of gravel looks like as a UCI discipline, but I am glad that there's an event. Um, uh, really interesting to watch that. I also wanted to throw out uh, the uh, Monsanen uh, World Cup. Um, I don't know if I, I feel bad. I, I mentioned last week that I was really good at keeping up with World Cup stuff at the beginning of the year, and then uh, things kind of fell off for me a little bit. Um, but I did want to run over this. Um, Nino Scherter took, I believe, his ninth overall World Cup victory, which is unbelievable. Like ninth, I think I think it was ninth. Oh, now, his ninth overall. Wow. Yes, his ninth overall. Yeah. Okay, that's Ninth cool. overall, and so just to, just to be clear, I mean, uh, you know that basically means overall the best World Cup racer for, for nine, nine of the past. I mean, I, who's even beaten you know in in the overall in the? I mean, do you have to go back to Absalon mm, for that? Probably. He's definitely the goat. Yeah, Nino is. I think Nino is undone. I don't think you can argue that he's the Michael Jordan of mountain biking. Of, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't even. I'm trying to think of like a devil's advocate argument against that, and I can't. I think yeah. he's. Um, uh, uh, Tom Pitcock took the win on the day. Uh, Nino uh, dropped a chain, I think. And there was kind of a moment where people were like, oh, shoot, like if he doesn't finish above this level and then Jordan Suru finishes here, like Nino might have lost the overall because of this drop chain, but managed to hang on. Uh, we had Pitcock, Flukiger, uh, Marcel uh, uh, Guarini coming back after a couple of kind of lackluster years. Good to see him back up there. Tijuan Caro and then Thomas Lischer in fifth. And then in the women's, uh, Loana Lecomte, a, a good, reliable, you know, like mm-hmm. I was going to say, if there's ever a mountain bike race she's in, your money's fairly safe betting on her. She's kind of a machine. Not the most extravagant rider in the world, um, but one of those where I'd hate to race her. I'd hate <laughs> to race any of those ladies, but holy smoke, she just has that like robotic. She almost reminds me of Chris Froome a little bit. Just the like, I am a race winning robot, mm-hmm. you know, get out of my way. Uh, Yenny Risfeds, I have oh, to throw cool. out. Yeah. Uh, kind of vintage name for us. Well, not vintage, but, you know, she was big when we were first getting into the sport. Good to see her back up near the front. She's got a cool story. Very cool story. Uh, Puck Peters in third. Really killer season for, a, you know, kind of a, a newer name on, on, the, uh, on the circuit. And then Yolanda Neff coming back into the top five, which oh, is good. really good to see in fourth. And then uh, Martina Berta rounding out the, the podium there. But really great World Cup. I want to throw out Riley Amos winning the under-23. Another Nike alumni, wow. uh, you know, USA, man. We're, we're finally going to be punching near our weight in cycling, <laughs> I think, in the next few years with all these uh, up-and-comers. So congratulations to all those folks. Um, I'm kind of glad we didn't have a lot of local news because that was a lot of cycling a, world yeah. news to run over. That was um, exciting, yeah. But, yeah, good stuff. I, you know, and, and as the pro season uh, ramps down, 
I think we'll realize how much we miss, you know, just being, if you're casual, hopping on Instagram, being like, oh, you know, this person won this and this, you know, like kind of slowly dipping your toes in, uh, learning how the pro calendar works and everything. It is, it is fun to keep an eye on. So we'll miss that in the winter here. I'm always so excited when the classics roll around, when, you know, uh, cross is fun and everything. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, it's been a great, I mean, the season's not over, but reflecting back, it's been a good pro season. Uh, lots of sad stuff, you know, losing Gino Mater, you know, some other kind of unfortunate, uh, little bits to it but like i really have enjoyed being a cycling fan this season lots of fun you're good uh, i'd encourage you like give give pro cycling a shot I, even if you're not into sports like this is kind of a fun one it's it's thinky it's it's tactical <laughs> um uh, that's that's my call out for the week give give pro cycling a shot when you if you're on the trainer this uh this winter you know pull up some pirated race replays you know and, <laughs> and go and go and learn how it works but um i do want to move on because this is an interesting topic today for our deep dive um, we're kind of getting to the point in the season where uh, States is coming up. There's maybe not a whole lot you can do to change your fitness at this point. Um, you know, as, as we get closer and closer, there's probably less well, and there, less. Actually, can I just interrupt Ooh, did I, did yeah, I, did I, I Did I incorrectly segue you there? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot you can do to change your fitness at the, this point for the worse. Okay, okay yeah, know, let me like, clarify. Yeah, you're, you're probably, you know, you can you can mess if, it up at this yeah, point. Yeah, if you stop writing this week, you will change it for the worst. Um, but it, you can't start writing this week and, you know, we're kind of, so this is, I think it'll be interesting. Some of these things will be going. I think the, the past few weeks we've been like, okay, hey, States is coming up. These other things are coming up. Do this and this and this. I think now we're kind of getting to the point where it's like, well, I hope you did that and that and that because, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's two weeks away. Like, um, I'm not into long tapers. I don't. I haven't had much success with long tapers. I kind of think I, I almost am going to treat state like another race for most of the athletes I'm working with. Um, and, you know, just stay consistent. And this should be an awesome time to stay consistent because it's just so beautiful outside. The air just feels so good. It's cool. Shouldn't be hard you, to convince yourself to ride right now. Yeah. Should be easy. Yeah. So yeah, just definitely stay consistent. Um, you know, last last week we talked about like, you know, what happens when we take time off, you know, and it's amazing how quickly we can lose some of our race fitness, um, but we also get it back pretty quick. So it's not a huge deal, but like this week would be a bad week to lose some race fitness. You know? Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Um, but then again, you know, you've got you we're, we've talked about peaking a few weeks ago, too, where. You know, you don't want to show up to the race shattered and tired and with dead legs from a big, huge, epic ride you did three days before. You know, you've got to strike the right balance between coming fueled, coming fresh, and being the right state of mind. You know, and so. hopefully you've learned from the four races you've already done. Because this, this week would have been the last non-state sniker race. Yeah. Right? Um, everyone should have some lessons learned. You've had four opportunities to race. Hopefully you took all four. Um, we kind of said early on, like, you know, a lot of this is unknown. A lot of people will have a different, you know, like I, I kind of need a day or two of intensity under my legs to have my best performance. Some other people want to come off two full days of rest and go right back into it. Um, hopefully you've, you've paid attention. Yeah. And, hopefully and you're kind of figuring yourself out yeah. and knowing what works well and what doesn't and the stuff that works, keep doing it. And right. Yeah. So. Right. Right. But yeah, but Getting into this week, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of excited to have some topics that are a little more broad, you know, kind of getting out of the like, okay, races are coming up. This is what we focus on. This is what's interesting to some more 
um, you know, kind of opening it up a little more in, in what we talk about. Yeah. And I think for the next little while, a lot of what we're going to talk about, like, like last year we did like one episode on winter training and that was, and it kind of covered everything. And this year I kind of want to do it differently. I think we're going to like break these things up into, into different topics, you know, and, and, you know, like, and like last time we talked about, you know, detraining a little bit and, and how important it is to, to start your, your winter training with a, with a break before you get into your winter training. We talked about how important that is. Um, and today kind of what I want to talk about is, um, about the aerobic part of our winter training and, and what that is and how it differs from anaerobic training. Um, but you know, if, if there's one thing that we could do that would make you a better cyclist, it would be somehow to inspire you to, to have awesome winters, right? You know, to, to do your winters, right. You know, to, to stay consistent, to be healthy, to, you know, like, it, like training is kind of like walking up a, a, a sandy slope, you know, and if you stop, you're going to slide backwards, you know, and that's, right. um, winter really is just an awesome opportunity to get faster when normal people are getting slower. Normal people are kind of almost starting over every season. And we don't have to like repeat last week's episode, but we did kind of land on this conclusion that like winter training is one of the biggest things that separates, you know, good bike riders from really great bike riders. Right. Absolutely. And that's why I do want to kind of dedicate a lot of episodes this winter to talking about winter training type subjects, because it's, it's just something I, th I think is just so important. And obviously that there, there's some things you can do wrong. And I've seen people do things during the winter that could cause burnout and so forth. But, um, I, I think the worst thing you can do is nothing. And, you know, one, I think one, two, one misconception a lot of people have is that, you know, you really don't necessarily even have to touch your bike all winter and still get faster. Oh yeah. You know, there's, there's multiple ways to get faster during the winter. Um, Cause I think a lot of kids listening to this won't have cold weather riding gear and they won't have a trainer and they're kind of sitting here like, okay, well, what do what I do? do? Yeah. You know, can't afford schemo. Can't, you know, yeah. yeah. So, so we do want to talk about some, some options, but, um, but yeah, so just, I just want to talk a little bit, just a few kind of principles about winter training in general, and then we'll get into our deep dive. But, um, but so winter training, there's just a few things I want to point out. First is a reminder, you know, to take a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks off of training after you're done with your kind of fun fall riding and before you start your winter training. That's what we talked about last week. I just want to kind of reiterate that. I also think, um, one thing that's really helpful to motivate you to do some winter training is, is think of some goals for next season, right. you know, cause you know, if you've got some of those goals in mind, that's going to give you a little more motivation to do some winter training. Cause sometimes winter training takes, takes some, some motivation to, to be able to do, you know? Oh yeah. I, I, and you know, like it, for me, it's like, I want to do true grit and point to point next year, but I think for a lot of kids, it could be, I want to make the jump to pink next year. Mm -hmm. You know, or like I want to uh, be able to do uh, X, Y, and Z, you know, because I think a lot, if you just like, un un unfortunately, the trainer is a really good solution to the winter problem. And even with Zwift and a nice trainer and everything, slogging through 
a two hours Zwift ride in your basement in the winter, you got to be, there's got to be something behind that. You know, like if you're just doing that for fun, you should get help because that's not, you know, like, like it's, it's easy to get kids to ride bikes because it's fun. Like winter training is the next step because it's, it's good for you and it's necessary if you want to be great at this, but it's not fun. Oh, I, I think it can be fun. Sure. It's not fun in the same way that riding your bike through PCMR in the fall is fun. It's not the same. It's different, yeah. but it, it's still fun. It and can I, be rewarding and fulfilling, but like, it's not like no one's ever been like, oh my gosh, that was awesome after a trainer ride, you know? Like, well, we're not just talking about trainer rides. We're talking right. about lots of different types right. of training, but, but yeah, you gotta um, have something, you gotta have some kind of goal you're chasing, I think. Yeah. But kind of the, the mantra for winter training that I came up with several years ago and I just keep, keep using it is just. And I want you guys to just remember this and think about it and, and is to do something every day that's going to make you a better athlete, you know, and some days that's resting. Some days that re- that's recovering. Um, some days that's going on a eight hour hike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it could be a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of things and we'll talk about those things, but every day you should do something that's going to make you a better athlete. Um, I want you guys to remember that. Uh, and another thing that I think is important about winter training is you really need to do things differently. And like I've said before, over and over again, snow covering the ground kind of forces us to do things differently, you know? And, and I think if you're doing things differently, might as well do things that are fun and interesting and, and that you're actually excited to do, you know, like Joe is kind of mentioning about slogging on the trainer, you know, like I always say, you know what, if you don't want to use the trainer, do something else, you know, like should clarify my position. I think practically a lot of us end up doing the trainer because like it's convenient you finish work and it's dark outside already. And you know what? But like, I will say I, even when I'm slogging in the trainer, I do look forward to it Yeah, because I feel better after, you know? Um, yeah. But if you can, like if you can do schema or if you can do ski touring or if you can do cross country skiing or like we're big on winter hiking and snowshoeing and stuff like, yeah, we're going to talk about all those different options and talk a little bit about trainers. And like, we even did a whole episode, two episodes on trainers last year. And we're going to do, it is our least two. listened to episode. Oh, fun interesting. Fact. Okay. Yeah. Fun fact. That's, we're going to do probably two more episodes on trainers this winter too. So yep. we'll get a little something to look the forward landscape to. Always changes in the trainer game, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, you're forced to do things different and kind of enjoy that, you know, that you kind of have, you can't, I mean, going out and riding your bike in a PCMR isn't an option here soon, you know, so, um, which I think is a good thing to kind of have that little change forced on you. It makes you so, appreciate the bike. I'll tell you that, man, this whole season. It re- yeah, yeah, it really does. It makes you appreciate things. Cause honestly, if I lived in Southern California, I, I would probably burn myself out because I don't think I'd ever stop. And uh, that still sounds pretty good, but the point stands, yeah. you know, that like makes you appreciate it a bit. So, um, you know, there's, there's four different types of workouts that you really need to include into your week during the entire winter. Um, the first one is your aerobic training, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to define what that is. Um, and, and much of that can be in the form of aerobic cross training. Though there's a lot of kids that like, I know a lot of kids, they'll, they'll pay all the money, sign up for WUCAR, they'll do WUCAR and they'll ski and they won't do any aerobic exercise during the winter and they don't get any faster. Nope. You've got to do some aerobic work during the winter. So that's the first one. The second one's strength, strength training. Um, now that's not necessarily just a winter thing, but it's something you can put more of a focus on during the winter. And, um, it's, 
it's not a marginal gain. I think it's kind of the, the biggest recent development in pro cycling training is the importance of strength training. You know, Keegan's like, doing, a t- I mean, Keegan, Keegan Kate, all the all cool the, people. Anyone Nino. who's doing anything big in pro cycling right now is lifting. Yeah. So that's the second one. Uh, the third one is, is just strengthening your core. Again, that's not just a winter thing. That's something that should be done all season long. And the fourth, the fourth thing, I didn't really know what to call it. I'm just going to call it PT. Um, and that's just kind of like the, the stretching and the dealing, like if you've got knee trouble, maybe working through that, or if you've got hip trouble, or if you've got, you know, bike fit type issues, you know, just take some time during the winter to make your body feel better and, and address any issues that you might have, you know, work on some stretching, foam rolling, you know, each one of those will be a podcast unto itself. So, um, but mostly during the winter, it should be a time to just, like I say, do something every single day to make you a better athlete, to have fun and be healthy. So, so today we're going to talk about aerobic training and, and kind of the, you know, maybe make the distinction between aerobic sports and anaerobic sports and this is something you're going to learn about in like health class and i think all of us have heard well aerobic is when you use oxygen and anaerobic is when you don't use oxygen like like a lot of you could probably pull a lot of people off the street and they could tell you that yeah and you know the only sport i can think of where you don't use any oxygen is like underwater di- well all, all diving's underwater um underwater diving <laughs> what's it oh free diving where you you know like that's probably the only sport where you don't use oxygen so um, little nuance to the definition there, but we'll talk about that. But first I just wanted to do, you know, before we talk about aerobic versus anaerobic exercises, um, I just want to kind of do a quick energy system review. And, um, so, so right now, like I used to think like when you think you're doing like something aerobic, what comes to mind? Uh, running, running, probably the simplest, right? Yeah. But the thing is, is like right now we're aerobic. Yeah. You know, like, so, you know, like we use aerobic metabolism to just basically live, you know, to like. It's your default, right? It kind of keeps us, it controls our temperature. It makes it so we, you know, that's, that's basically where we get, I mean, we're aerobic right now. We're just sitting here talking to each other. Yeah. Being not aerobic for a long time is being dead, right? Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so really, I mean, we're, we're basically just kind of, we kind of grow, go through life most of the time, just cruising around in zone one, you know, when you kind of think of it that way. I've so, had some days at work lately where I was in, in zone three at least, but point taken. Part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, not really because of energy demands, but because of your heart rate, right? Is that probably, that was the joke. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay. Carry on. So, but the thing is, is like when we're just sitting here, we're aerobic, but we're not necessarily stressing our aerobic system enough that it's going to make any improvements to itself or any adaptations. So, um, so we kind of had that, we did, we did a podcast a little while ago, like kind of trying to talk about, is there like a bottom end to zone two and, you know, can you get really get benefits training in zone one? And we really don't don't know, but we're assuming there is, there's gotta be a point where, 
you've got to be working at least hard enough to be stressing your aerobic system enough that it's going to make adaptations. Yeah. Well, because they say people who have jobs where you're on your feet a lot, moving, even if you're not working hard, but you're like walking to the other side of the building a lot. Or if you're uh, like Tessa, my wife is an elementary school teacher, you know, like her, it's probably not getting into zone two and three all the time, but she's on her feet a lot. You know, They're her moving, burning more calories than. Right. So like there's got to be something. Kind of an energy that, demand. Right? Right thing that like people sitting at a desk all day don't yeah. really don't really deal with, but um, yeah. So so I just want to kind of talk about energy systems, but I kind of want to do it in a different way. Where I, let's just picture we're going on a ride together, okay? Okay. And I wanted to let's. I think everyone's ridden up Dry Creek on Shoreline, right? Okay. And I think a lot of people are probably a little bit too familiar with that trail. Oh yeah. You know, if you live in the Salt Lake area, it's something that everyone's done at least. How many times do you think you've ridden up Dry Creek? Well, you continue with this. I'm going to get you that number. That's a really interesting question. Okay. So so just let's just assume that we're riding up Dry Creek, and we're going to start out super easy. You've got like a, a disciplined ride leader that's kind of keeping the pace super slow. You start out super easy, and it takes a little while for your blood vessels to kind of dilate, and you start feeling good on the bike. And, you know, you kind of get warmed up and you get to a point where you feel like you're working and you're exercising, but you're still, we're still talking to all our buddies and we're still kind of having a good time. But you do feel like occasionally you kind of have to stop and maybe catch your breath a little bit. But um, so right now, basically, we're working in zone two and we're primarily we're using fat as fuel. Um, through the electron transport chain and it's in the presence of oxygen and it's done within the mitochondria. We're breathing out carbon dioxide. We're breathing out water, which is kind of interesting because basically like um, we're basically breathing out our food, you know, at that point, the, the carbohydrates that we're using, which I think is kind of interesting. Really quickly. Okay, go ahead. If you're interested, I have clocked 153 times up Dry Creek Canyon and the very first time I did that was the very first ride I ever tracked on Strava on November 7th, 2014. Oh, boy. Yep. Okay. Wow. 150. Wow. In a lot of ways, I was like, you expect that number to be a million, but then you think 153 times. You've that got I've that dialed. That. Yeah. And the sad thing is, it's it, uh, I only rode up Dry Creek four times in 2022, which is kind of crazy. Hmm. I guess my, my writing's changed. But you go back to 2015 and it's like a billion um sorry to derail you there okay. but there you go well fastest to, time uh, fastest time to the switchback five minutes and 38 seconds which was good enough wow. for fourth place overall back in the day that's pretty fast wow second place overall back in the day i'm down to sixth okay dang well anyhow cool. back to flexing um, over sorry about that okay so yeah so we're cruising up dry creek in zone two and i just mentioned that that this is basically like if we're riding at this pace we're completely using slow twitch muscles where it's the maximum amount of fat we can process. Um, it's done completely in the mitochondria and we're completely aerobic. Okay. Right. Which is kind of the beauty of zone two. You're yeah. kind of, it's this kind of sweet spot where you're just maximizing all that goodness. Um, like yeah. um, it's, it's basically our mitochondria is working at its max maximum capacity at that point which signals it to create more. And like a pro like a professional cyclist has probably like three to four times more 
mitochondria than like a normal person. Right. Which kind of explains why they can do some of the things that they can do. So yeah. Like your elevator pitch on how to get faster is ride a lot in zone two. Basically. Ride a lot and do most of it in zone two, right? Yes. That's your training philosophy in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the beauties of zone two is you can just spend so much time doing it. I don't really mean this to become a zone two podcast. They but... all kind of end up being zone two okay, podcast, but yeah. Okay. So yeah. So obviously at this point we're completely aerobic. Okay. So we're riding up dry Creek and you're starting to feel kind of good. You know, you do, and you just bump it up a notch. So right. now you're in zone three. Okay. And so now, um, our ATP demands, which is kind of like basically our energy demands are a little bit more than our fat burning metabolism can provide. So what happens is we start getting that, that energy from, from glucose via the Krebs cycle. And, and this still takes place in the mitochondria. It's still a hundred percent aerobic. Okay. But at this point, what happens is there's, um, you know, a, a byproduct of glycolysis is, is lactate, which gets released, but the, the muscles, the local muscles reuse it. And, um, so it's really kind of no harm done. Like zone three is kind of spicy zone two. Ooh, there we go. You know, it's not disastrous to be into zone three. It's just not super beneficial really. You're, so you're bang for your, they're, they're uh, a little bang for the buck you're, issues, but yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and so once you start using glycogen or carbohydrates or whatever, that's kind of like your turbo, you know, and um, the bigger your, your, slow twitch, fat burning aerobic engine is, the bigger that is, the more effective your turbo becomes. Then it's kind of like adding a turbo to a big motor rather than a turbo to a teeny little mo motor, you know, as a, as a car analogy. So, so yeah, so say, you know, say we're riding along with our buddies and it's, you know, it's starting, we're getting into the canyon a little more. It starts getting a little steep. We're starting Start to run into those like rocky bits. Well, we're going to get, oh, we're not to the I, rocky bit. Did I mess bit. up yeah, your metaphor? Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but they, they kind of start picking up the pace a little bit and then you start riding at threshold, right? We've talked a lot about riding at threshold or FTP. And, and this is a point where you're, you know, you're, you're using a lot of carbohydrates, which is producing more lactate, which, um, you're starting to get to the point where you're producing more lactate than your local muscles can consume. So it, it starts entering the bloodstream and it makes your muscles acidic and your legs start to burn. And here's kind of the point where, we can't do this all day anymore, you know, and you, you're starting to feel a little burn when you're going up. You're feeling like you're riding pretty fast. Um, are we anaerobic yet? No. No. We're completely aerobic. When you're at your FTP, you're completely aerobic still. Okay. So um, we're well within our VO2 max because, like, our, our VO2 max is the point where if, you, if your energy demands exceed your VO2 max, then your the anaerobic contributions start kicking in so we're riding along and all of a sudden we get to that really rocky section in the middle that's kind of hard to clear right okay now you can't ride up that super steady right you can't you can't ride up there in a nose breathing zone two it takes a little extra power to get up that section right Unless your name starts with B and ends with Art Gillespie, but okay. for most he of us, he floats up that. He's like he tries, right. he switches off his gravity button and right. just floats up it, and then point being, yeah, yeah. point being, you've got to put down some gas to get up that section, yep. right? There's, I, I would say, there's kind of a mandatory power requirement. You know, you must 
contribute 500 watts to pass this kind of a thing, right? Yeah. So at this point, your energy demands are greater than your body can produce aerobically. Right. And so what your body does basically is um, it starts making the energy outside of the mitochondria and the cytosol of the cell, and it does it really inefficiently. You know, usually if it's made in the mitochondria, you're getting like, you know, 32 molecules of ATP, whereas per molecule of um, glucose. But like when you're doing anaerobically, it's only making like two. So you're just like your gas mileage just plummeted, you know, when you're when you're when you're quote unquote anaerobic. Right. Yeah. When you're at this point. So. um, And so but you have to do it to get through that section. Right. And then when you're done, it's, it's interesting because, like, after that section, when you're done, have you noticed, like, when you're going through that section, you're fine. But after you're done, you start breathing really hard. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And that's called oxygen debt. Yep. And the reason for that is because when you're producing all this energy anaerobically, you're producing a lot of lactate. And the lactate needs to be used up by your, your skeletal muscles. And it has to do that aerobically. And so that's why, so recovery from anaerobic efforts is very aerobic. Yeah. And so that's why you're kind of breathing hard after those efforts to process, basically process all that lactate aerobically. So um, one thing to point out is that when, when your lactate levels are elevated like that, it kind of switches off your body's ability to burn fat in the mitochondria as well. So there i mean right there's a pretty good reason to kind of keep your rides as steady as possible you know the other thing i want to throw out and this is kind of an interesting i hope interesting sort of practical way to look at it too is i've always wondered we've kind of had this philosophical discussion before where it's like if if you had somebody who had perfect willpower who had absolutely no mental weakness could they put their bike into the hardest gear and sprint all the way up Little Cottonwood Canyon and do it in 30 minutes because they're sprinting at 30 miles an hour on their road bike, right? Never shift it into an easy gear and just be able to endure that amount of pain, right? I think this is kind of the practical reason that the answer is no. That like once you pass your VO2 max and you get to that point where you're starting to have to, you know, you're getting to the anaerobic contributions and stuff that we talked about, like the timer's ticking, right? And this is why you kind of have to be judicious with like, if you're in a race, you only have so many really big digs because like at a certain point, your body can't, you know, like you're using all the oxygen your body's capable of using, right? So it's like, you know, kind of and like you're that using perfect... tons of glycogen. Yeah. And... So like, and this is like a practical thing for me to remind people that like you have limits. Like if you are really, really good about enduring pain, you know, like that's one conversation we have. But like at the end of the day, everybody has a limit. You know, I could not go and win the tour if I had perfect willpower because my body's not ready, right? Yeah, and that's why we kind of refer to these as like matches, you know? Right. Like when we say you have matches to burn, like that's, it's not, oh, you can deal with this much pain and that's how many matches you have. It's like at a certain, I mean, that might limit your matches on top of this, but even someone with perfect willpower still has matches that they need to kind of decide, you know, like you can't follow every attack every single time. Mm -hmm. You know, one interesting thing too, though, is like, Someone that's really, really aerobically fit is going to recover quickly from that, you know, from that effort they put to get through that rocky section. Right. They're going to recover a lot quicker than someone who, who is. Take someone off the street and have them ride that. They're going to need 20 minutes after that to like, 
get someone who's got like a really good aerobic engine is going to recover from it pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's, um, and then there's one other energy system, you know, say, so we keep, so that's, that's what we kind of refer to as like anaerobic contribution, you know, when, you know, you just, you just need to do something that's so hard. You just can't do it aerobically. You do it and then you kind of pay for it aerobically later. Right. Put it, put it on your anaerobic credit card. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, so we're, we keep riding up Dry Creek and you get to that little switchback, you know. Right. That switchback, there's kind of like a 10-foot section that's like super steep. And once you get past it, it's not too bad. But you got to put some serious power oh, yeah. down to get that, to get up that. And that's, um, that energy system is often called like the ATP PC system, which it's basically just using ATP that's already stored in your muscles for just quick really short efforts that just last a few seconds, you know, and that's kind of like, those are kind of like um, dunking a basketball or punching a bear or you know, doing a box jump. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So, you know, so that's, uh, so that's just kind of a quick review of our energy system. Something we're going to talk about a lot. Uh, understand, you know, and I just think it's really good to kind of have an understanding of like, when you're riding in certain zones or whatever, what your body's doing, and it's it's really helpful to to just have a good understanding. Kind of, kind of know what's going on under the hood, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I bet all of the best race car drivers are very intimately familiar with how their engine works and how their engine sounds and what's yep. so, yeah. And they'd be like, oh, this sound means this. Oh, I can't do this because I need you know I've got to make sure I give the turbos time to spool up so I can go through this section faster or slower right you know mm -hmm. like you can't you can't ignore i mean you could but like you really shouldn't ignore this you should kind of have some understanding of how this works right yeah I, I, it's super interesting and it's just remarkably complex like the you know what our bodies do to convert like food into energy is just remarkable and amazing and our bodies are just such a blessing you know and we really should take care of them but um let's talk now and, and this is kind of the main thing we want to talk about is just like Getting to our deep dive at 45 minutes into this. <laughs> Just kind of like aerobic versus anaerobic exercise. Right. You know, and I think everyone has a pretty good definition of what this, I mean, what would you say it is based on what you've known up till now, Joe? So like, like the ninth grade sports science answer is like running a marathon is aerobic. Be like c coming up to bat in baseball would be I mean, maybe maybe pretty much everything they do in baseball, I'd imagine, is pretty anaerobic. And it's not like a binary Right, and it's kind of like the distinction was always hard for me because I'm like, okay, well, even when you're batting that baseball, you're still breathing. Yeah. Right, but I think like truthfully, like um, uh, uh, baseball would be one. Probably volleyball would be another one. Basketball and soccer, I would say that it's that's, kind of a mix, right? When yeah. you're dunking the basketball, that's definitely anaerobic. We're just running back and forth, you know, from one end of the court to the other. That's you know an aerobic activity. Yeah, basketball is an interesting one because like, uh, I kind of like so cycling, you know. Yeah, so like anaerobic would mean without oxygen. And like I say, that's just like the free diving is probably the only, you know. That's like, like truly without oxygen. Yeah. But. Um, I would say some sports that I would consider anaerobic for sure would be like a lot of the track and field events, you know, like the high jump or the long Shot jump or javelin. Um, or like any, even like a 400 meter run that you can probably do in less than two minutes or something. I don't know how long it takes to do that, but. Um, that's going to be mostly anaerobic. Um, I think football is very anaerobic because oh, yeah. like 
I mean, it only takes a few seconds. Like, I mean, if how someone... long? We're not football people. Like, how long is the longest play in football? Like a minute. Like that'd be a really long. Play, that'd be a right? really long. Play. I'm thinking like a few seconds. Like, right. And then they stand around and like play with their teeth guards or whatever for like. Not a football household. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's gathered that. Yeah, you know, but they they'll like they'll run around for like five or ten seconds, and then they'll walk back and line up, and the coach will say something on his microphone or something. I don't right, know right, right. Goes. But yeah, that's very anaerobic. Um, it's basically just kind of short, random bursts of effort with plenty of recovery between. Right, and cycling I think is kind of like basketball, depending on what kind of cycling you're doing. Like a Nike race, most of it is is pretty aerobic, but like there are definitely anaerobic parts, you know, like trying to make the split to the next group or, you know, coming out of a corner or like the final sprint to the line, you know, like there's lots of anaerobic contributions going on, but it is still an aerobic activity. It, oh yeah. It's, it's, it's a definitely an aerobic activity with lots of anaerobic contributions. And, um, no, an aerobic sport, obviously that means with, in the presence of oxygen. Right. Um, I, I like to call, I like to think of it more as like endurance sports um, because I think for it to be like an, an aerobic endurance sports, it needs to be like steady. It needs to be rhythmic. And generally, I think the efforts need to be between two minutes on to like what? Two minutes plus. plus. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. Eight hours is 10 hours. I don't know. But yeah, two minutes plus. So, but yeah, I think the steady and rhythmic parts are really important too. Why is rhythmic a distinction? What would be an example of something that is steady, but not rhythmic? Okay, like, what just, do you mean by that? Well, it's just kind of a, a synonym, but, oh, I guess, cause, um, I guess I'm kind of using it to describe the same thing, you know? Like, okay. Um, like there's a lot of sports where you might be moving the whole time, but it's not, it's not oh, like clockwork, okay. like running or cycling. Or, oh, okay. You know. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so. Ultimate Frisbee. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm know. stretching here, but yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So in aerobic sports, you know, like we mentioned, we mentioned earlier, you know, you've got like your zone two, which we talked about, you know, which, which was where you're utilizing the fat. It's, it's, you know, primarily with the slow twitch muscles. You've got your your VO2 max, which is kind of like the limit of your aerobic capacity. Um, you know, but that whole range is aerobic. So aerobic, uh, aerobic exercises could be like really easy, chill, riding with your buddy, talking the whole time, or it could do five minute all out. Could be the most painful, painful thing you've ever yeah. done. Or... You know, yeah, all out painful. Or ride with max. grandma around the block to go get a popsicle yeah. at the store, right? Like, yeah, there's there's a pretty huge range of aerobic exercise, um, you know, and 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 you know, in like training your VO two max, like we've mentioned before, that like to increase that capacity, you don't have to ride at that capacity. Pretty much everything you do aerobically, like the zone two work that you do. The threshold work that you do, everything that you do aerobically improves your VO2 max and gives you a bigger VO2 max, you know, and, and, and training your VO2 max, that right there is kind of like your race fitness, you know, that's, right. that's what makes you fast. And you notice, like, I, I kind of look at some of the training plans I'll help people with and my training plans are really boring because yeah. 
it's a lot of zone two and a lot of VO2 max training and not a whole lot else, you know, so. Um, but the thing is, is like a VO2 max interval, it's really important to pace them right so they stay aerobic. So you're not starting out anaerobic and then settle into aerobic at the end of your interval or whatever, you know. Yeah. They're intended to be aerobic. And so starting out too hard in some ways almost kind of negates the purpose of them because you're, you're then you're kind of training your anaerobic systems, you know, so. Um, but some examples of, you know, some examples of like aerobic sports obviously are going to be running. Super good one. Um, Nordic skiing. Swimming. Yeah, swimming. Um, fast walking. Okay. You know, I put, I put the term fast there because just a gradual walk might not be enough to really give you exercise, you know, or imp- right. you know, m- make improvements. But hiking is a really good one. And I personally think that the gold standard for, for metabolic health is cycling because you can train at that zone two for so long when you're on a bike. That right. You can't do really many other ways, you know, without doing excessive damage to your body and so forth, you know. So, um, so I think cycling is kind of the gold standard in in my humble opinion. So yeah, so that's you know, so we've we've kind of talked about our anaerobic sports, you know, which are like, you know, football or shock put or and then shock our, shock put shot put shot put, shot put? I think shock put is it's not shock put. Okay. Shot putt, isn't it? I have no idea. I'm going to fact check, but... Don't worry about it. We'll okay. talk about that later. So, but then here's here's where I think it kind of gets interesting is we've kind of got like sports that like that just have a really high anaerobic contribution. Shot putt. Shot putt. Shot putt. S-H-O-T space P-U-T. Shot I putt. I think my whole life I've been saying that. Shot right. putt? I don't know. Anyhow. Okay. Sorry. That was... So, Can't let Dan have any wins here. <laughs> got to keep, got to keep a lid on that ego. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. So, so now we we've got some sports that just have a really high anaerobic contribution, and these sports they have frequent, repeated anaerobic efforts that require the body to reuse that lactate aerobically, and so there's this oxygen debt that's being created that the body takes care of in an aerobic state. So these sports, you're actually getting a lot of aerobic improvements. Um, they're just not necessarily as good as, as actual consistent steady state aerobic training, if that makes sense. And some examples of these, you know, like, like soccer is a good one. You know, they're, they're running. Sometimes they run fast. Sometimes they run slow. Sometimes they stop. Um, but they are running and moving a lot. And a lot of times when they are running, they're running probably above their VO2 max, you know. And then they'll slow down and they'll pay that oxygen debt aerobically, you know. So they're actually getting some pretty good aerobic fitness in during a soccer match. Um, tennis is another one. Basketball, I think, is a really good example of, you know, it, it's a lot of anaerobic contribution, but they're, they're frequent and um, they're moving a lot and the recovery that they do is, is aerobic. So, you know, playing basketball, I think would, 
improve your aerobic fitness to some extent. And the other one I really put into this group would be skiing, like downhill lift serve skiing. Okay, so this is kind of, I think this is kind of where this whole episode is going. I'm going to ask the question that we get a lot or that, that kind of comes up a lot, which is, all right, well, I just finished my NICA season. Can't wait for next season. Want to kick butt. Uh, I just got my snowbird pass and I'm going to be skiing all winter. Like how well does that check the winter training box for you? You know, it's, I would say it's a heck of a lot better than nothing, but it's not nearly as good as a lot of things. Okay. You know, I, I would probably say like if, uh, if playing call of duty all winter was a zero and, um, gorgeous zone two four hour rides on your road bike on a flat road were 10, you know, downhill skiing might be like a five. I don't know. You know, it, it, the short answer, and Dan, I've talked about this a lot. is like, it's good. It's active. Uh, probably makes you stronger, helps your coordination. It's it, but it is not an aerobic sport. It just isn't, you know, you might even get a little out of breath on a really hard run or whatever. It's, but it's, it which is, is oxygen debt that's being paid back. Aerobic exactly. Like, and that's kind of, I think that's the sort of, I think that's the biggest practical question we're trying to answer. And if you want to do that, that's great. But that just, it, it just, it, it isn't ideal for this. And you know what? If that's not what you're after, that's totally fine. Because I know like, a lot of people ride bikes just to get them through the non-ski season. Sure. You or know. you know what? Nike is something you enjoy doing and you want to get better. But like, you're like, but skiing, it, this is 50-50 for me, bike ski. That's totally fine. But if you're listening, the point I think we're trying to make is like, if you are a parent or if you're a kid listening to this and you, you're like, this is my thing. I'm going to kick butt. I want to go to nationals next year. I want to make it to the pink group. I want to be top five varsity. A winter where you're just riding lifts up and skiing down is so not ideal. And, yeah. and you know what? Dan's being nicer than me. Like, it's really pretty far from ideal. I think it's probably more like a three. And I don't want to like, because again, playing Call of Duty all winter really sucks, right? Or being injured all winter, not being able to do anything really sucks, right? It's better than nothing for your mental health. And, and you know, it's probably good to burn some calories and you know, make you a little stronger, more coordinated. It is so far from what you should be doing if cycling is your goal and you want to be the best at this. Well, and, and let me make this very clear. Like, I think skiing, it can play an awesome part. Yes. In a healthy, it's awesome, part of good, a balanced breakfast, it's part right? Of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm just not advocating that you guys should go up and be ski bums and just go up every single day of the week. And that's like, because well, we live in Utah. That's what a lot of people do. And yeah. that's, fine but it's just not what's going to take you to the next level in cycling you know if, if being that's an endurance you athlete's your biggest yeah. priority you know yeah. so do that and and don't do any less skiing do that and is my thought yeah you know i think going skiing once or twice a week is part of an awesome winter sure you i'd know? say three or four three three to five times a week right. if you if you have the time you to have do, time the to other, do other things but yeah. i think a lot of people don't because yeah the thing with skiing is it does take a lot of time to drive to the resort dealing with right. the traffic um you know, one thing I will say about skiing that is, is a big plus for it is usually when people go, they go for three to five to six. They go all day sometimes. Yeah, that's true. So there is kind of a good endurance aspect from it, you know. That and we should say really quick, we're talking about alpine resort skiing, schemo, We'll talk about those things. Touring. Those are totally different. Totally different. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. We're talking about like totally sitting on a lift, right. getting off and, and going back down letting gravity take you down the hill. So, yes. Um, you know. I, th I think one thing I would point out about skiing is it is a very injury prone sport. I mean, yeah. like 
I remember when I was in high school, the the basketball coach wouldn't let the varsity basketball players ski during the winter. Yeah. Just because so many of them would get hurt. And I stuff, mean, like you know, so. Maybird's probably our pinnacle rider, Ryder Jordan. You know, for last last year, um, had a ski injury that took him out from I don't remember when he got hurt, but he couldn't ride again until like July. Yeah. You know, so it's you so, know. But you know, I think that there's a risk reward, and yeah. I think the reward for skiing is pretty big, and right. people are willing. To and take I don't want risk. people listening to be like, "Oh, Joe and Dan are down on skiing." Down on skiing, but we just have seen so many kids where it's like, or talk to parents where it's like, "Oh, yep, we're gonna ski hard all winter, so we're ready for next." I'm like, that, "No, that's not how it works." No, like skiing is part of a balanced practice. Part of balanced practice, right? So I hope we made that clear. Enough. Yeah, because I yeah, we're not down on sports. We're not awesome. down on skiing. You guys get it, right? Okay, so let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about. A concept that's really important to understand okay when we're talking about winter training and so forth and that's um, central versus peripheral adaptations have you, have you heard of these concepts no I don't think so okay really good thing to understand so um, so central adaptations are anything that helps train our aerobic capacity so anything that's going to help maintain or improve our vo2 max basically all right, so peripheral, or how do I say it? So, it's, per, it's peripheral, I peripheral? think. Like peripheral. Okay. That's one of those words I have a hard time saying. It's okay. I'll, peripheral I'll cut you some slack. Is, is more like specific muscle firing patterns that are required to be efficient in a sport. You know, like it's, it's almost more like the coordination involved for a specific sport. Like, for example, you know, like a, like a runner. You know, a runner actually makes a pretty good cyclist once you kind of teach their legs to... To do the cycling thing. To, yeah, to move in a circle like that, you know. And, like, cyclists can eventually become runners, although I think it's harder to Transition become. takes a little longer. I think it takes a little longer. But, you know, they've, they've, got that, they've got that central motor, you know. But the peripheral... I don't know if I'm saying that right. Peripheral. Peripheral. There you go. Um, like how those, those muscle patterns actually fire... You know, that takes a little bit more work, you know, so. But not, it's like, it's, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's a fairly easy transition. It's not crazy, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, but this, this also explains why it is difficult for like, say you've got like, you're the cyclist, you've got a really, really good motor, you go do a marathon, it could be disastrous for you, you know, because your peripheral I'm still not saying that right. Peripheral. It's not Peripheral. that hard. I'm, I'm going to start making fun of you. I've given you a few <laughs> chances here. I've said it wrong my whole life. So um, the, the muscles just aren't really wired correctly to do that. So, so that's why there's kind of the distinction between those two types of training. Um, but I think the important thing to, to point out is, is any of the aerobic endurance sports that we've kind of been mentioning – they can have similar benefits to our central aerobic fitness, you know. So, so, so really, like um, in August, it really isn't going to matter that much whether you did running, cycling, um, hiking, Nordic skiing, whatever. You know, during the winter, it's really not going to matter to your VO two max in in august what you did in like january february march you know um, some sports have more complementary peripheral <laughs> movements i can't say it right i'm just not even trying that's not that's not a particularly hard word to say either that's why it's kind of funny 
Peripheral. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to say that word anymore. Peripheral. 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 I'm not going to say it anymore. Okay. okay. Um, you know, so, so yeah. So I guess the whole point is, is like as far as our central adaptations go, you know, pick an endurance sport that you like and do it and it's going to benefit you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The one thing that's not going to help you is if you just do nothing. Right. So. Right. So, so now, um, I just kind of want like talk about just some examples of, of endurance sports. You can, you can add to your winter repertoire. Did I say that right? R- repertoire. Repertoire. <laughs> this is, this is fun, Dan. I'm sorry. <laughs> Gosh, I'm, I'm so tired and out of it today, and I want you to know this is what's keeping me going. So Okay, good. I'll keep saying words wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize I'm so bad at talking. I did. <laughs> but, sorry, carry okay. on. Okay. So, and we'll just talk about these, and, you know, I would say just choose whatever combination gets you excited to do something every day to be a better athlete. And, again, today we're mostly just talking about the aerobic training that we do as part of our winter training you know you'd obviously add strength and some pt type work to this but um the first one let's just talk about nordic skiing real quick um that's usually considered like kind of skate skiing or classic cross-country skiing uh this is a very welcoming sport you know the the nordic skiing communities want more people to do it oh yeah and it's it's not extremely expensive in fact there's there's a huge like they really encourage you to kind of start out on used equipment. I, I don't think equipment is as important in this arena as it would be with cycling. It's it, it, the the right stuff isn't as hard to get into as it was in cycling. I'm sure well, you even, ask, like even like the even used older stuff is still going to give still you pretty, awesome pre- fitness. It's it's not as much of a handicap as using a really old crappy bike, using yeah. old crappy skis, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not crazy expensive. The one thing that's interesting about Nordic skiing that I might throw out there is it really is kind of the gold standard for for stressing your VO2 max. Yeah. Like you can achieve a higher VO2 max usually Nordic skiing than pretty much any other I sport. I will argue cycling over anything else other than Nordic skiing. That's yeah. that. You know what? The, like I am so scared anytime I have to line up against someone I know does a lot of Nordic skiing because they are all freaks fitness wise like if you want to be a a a bike racing weapon go do some nordic skiing yeah so yeah there we go so um backcountry skiing is like obviously it's super awesome super cool um incredibly expensive and dangerous yeah it's it's expensive and dangerous and i wouldn't recommend it unless you have the proper gear and you're going out with a group that knows what they're doing, and, and you've you done know your, what they're doing, and 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 you're doing it in a place that's safe. You know, it's like, an it's an awesome sport, but there the there people is a who reason. should be doing it are already doing it. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's a reason that like ski resorts spend a fortune and hire expensive people to go shoot down avalanches. Yeah, it's for safety. Yeah, and when you're backcountry skiing. Nobody's really. I mean, UDOT does some in some places, but it's, it takes it's, years to get to the point when you can be safely backcountry skiing, which I think people forgot during the pandemic. I think a lot of people just started, went to REI, bought the stuff, and said, "Let's go do this." You know, um, don't don't do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's awesome winter training. You can yeah. get awesome fitness on your way up. You can have a 
ton of fun and go see oh, yeah. some cool things on the way down. It's like the best thing Just, in the world, but but ugh. it is there's it's considerably dangerous it's, and it's expensive. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that and. I mean, people have obviously heard of all these things. We're just kind of yep. out here talking about Giving our them, thoughts so. on them. Uh, schemo. Yep. Schemo. I would say the results speak for themselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of kids that do schemo do really, really well on the bike. Um, it's Schemo is also really expensive. The equipment's, I, I'd say, more expensive than downhill skiing from what I understand. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot of money. Um, it's a lot of Considerably money. safer, though. Yeah. Yeah, way safer. And let me just throw this out there, though, that a lot of the kids that do schemo, a lot of the training for schemo, they do a lot of running. Yep. And they do, like, a lot of, like, really fast hikes up Grandeur Peak. Yep. Um, so they do a lot of other aerobic sports to train them for schemo. Um, but, yeah, like, the, the schemo kids are fast. Yep, they're it's, scary, too. Yeah, so um, running. Running. Hmm. Running. Hmm. Running is, I mean, running is basically free. Yep. Like if you just think that you don't have any aerobic endurance winter training options, think again. Yeah. You know, running, you go buy a hundred dollar pair of shoes, you're going to have a sweet pair of shoes and that's kind of all you need. Yep. Really. Um, it's, it's super convenient. When you think about like downhill skiing or skimo or even Nordic skiing, that involves about a 30-minute drive one way and then a 30-minute drive the other way, and that's if there's no traffic. Right. You know, that's like an hour right there of yep. just, like, driving to your exercise. Like, if you go out running for an hour, that's a killer run. Like, half hour, 45 minutes, you can get a lot of fitness. I've disparaged running a lot on this podcast and off. Um, running is cool. Like, I should say it is the fundamental sport. It's, it's, it's as basic as it gets. Like it is as accessible as it gets. You can be pretty much anywhere in the world and go for a run. Um, you know, it is really pretty darn safe. Like people rarely die running, you know, you could still get hit by a car if you're on the road, you could still slip and hurt yourself. But like, you know, I think the problem with running is like doing it right, doing it comfortably and doing it with good form just takes time. And like we said, there's not the woohoo factor you get with bikes and skis. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of talk about it. it's the same as someone with the trainer, right? Like it's fulfilling. It feels good. It's great for you. But like, but the more you do it, the more you get yeah, that. I'm trying to get over the hump with running. I, I, I would love so much. Like actually, if you gave me the option, like if I could instantly just know Spanish or be able to run competently, that would be really hard for me to pick. It would be a huge deal in my life if I could do that. So like, I think everyone should start working towards it. You know, oh, I think else. everyone needs to, to try to run this winter. And the thing about running is you have to start out ridiculously slow. Oh, yeah. We should, like, we'll do a whole running podcast. We'll do a whole worry. running podcast, but you can't just go out and run 5K your first time you run. I don't know. To some people that run a lot, that's like nothing. But r- like running needs to – you need to ease yourself into it, like majorly ease yourself into oh, it. Yeah. And. Last last winter, Amy Larkin did the running group for us. I really hope she's doing it again this this winter because it was just brilliant. Because oh yeah, like a whole bunch of people met together, but she would have different games that you would go out and do that involved running, but everybody could do this at their own pace. Right. So like someone that was super fit, a super good runner, could show up, and I could be there too, and you'd get the so- social aspect. You'd have fun, but 
I wasn't having to try to keep up with people that are way better runners than me. So, so yeah, so running, you know, it's, it's accessible to everybody. Um, my personal favorite winter training method is hiking. And hiking has a lot of the advantages of running, except it's not running. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, hiking, you get to go to really cool, beautiful places that aren't crowded. You don't have to deal with the, the ski resort crowds, the ski resorts traffic. The, you don't have to give any of your money to a ski resort so yeah. they can go and do something stupid with it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really quite fun. It's peaceful. It's, you get a fantastic workout. You can do it for a long time. That's one thing I really like about hiking is I can go out and do like three, four hour hikes and, you know, and it kind of fills the, what, what like a long zone two endurance ride can do. You know, you get some of that long zone two type training. It's not particularly equipment intensive either. Most people have every, pretty much everything they need to, yeah. for within reason. I mean, it's nice to have like the ice spikes and maybe some And those are like 60 or 70 bucks, but that's you not. You know, some nice pants to wear that are, but, but it's not like cycling at all. Yeah, I think most of you have something that you could go do a winter hike in other than, you might have to you might have to go buy those spikes, which are pretty cheap. But I think it's one of the best things to do. And if you know if if, if you don't have the budget to do backcountry skiing or skimo or um, come on hikes with us. You know, if anyone's interested in doing hikes, Joe and I do usually one on the weekend. And um, I think it's awesome. For some reason, the popularity is not catching on like I wanted it to. But. Um, you know, another one, another option, too, is riding outside. Now, I don't usually recommend that, you know, student athletes do what the pros do, where they're, where they're like, bundle up, and they'll go for three, four-hour rides in the cold. And I've, I've actually seen that kind of backfire a lot of times at kids that try that. I really don't recommend that. Um, but, you know, if you get off school early and the weather's good and – you know, you can sneak out and go outside and ride your bike on a, you know, occasionally get the warmer days during the winter. Um, I would maybe just do that if the weather's good and you feel like it, you know, but, um, the last thing I wanted to just throw out there is the trainer. You know, we're going to do a whole episode on the trainer. I know there's people that are just trainer haters and if you're if you just absolutely hate the trainer you don't have to do it i've just listed a whole bunch of other options um you know for me like i get like during the winter i get off work around five it's pretty much already dark and i don't want to go out in the dark and the cold and go running you know it's just so easy for me to walk down to my basement i've got a trainer all set up i can hop on and i can be doing a workout and it only takes me like 10 minutes to get ready to do it. It's really, really super convenient. Um, the, the things I would say about a trainer is if you don't have a good setup, like if you're using kind of an old school trainer, if you don't have a smart trainer, if you don't have Zwift, I wouldn't really bother with it unless you really, really feel like it. But yeah, Dad's Nash Bar trainer from 15 years ago, don't even worry. It's not like go do something else. Yeah, you know, I, I had a kid say how much he hated the trainer. I was talking to him. I guess he had a smart trainer but didn't want to sign up for Zwift. You know, I'm like, well, I 
yeah, you know, you, if you have the right setup, it's, it's, it can be fun. I actually enjoy it. I get really, really good fitness in the winter using the trainer. Um, but again, it's kind of like schema or some of the other, it, it does take some investment to, to be able to get a decent set, not a terrible investment. I mean, trainers are getting cheaper. You know, you could probably get a pretty good one for three, 400 bucks nowadays, you know, um, but it's, it's definitely not the only, I think a lot of kids out there think that schemo or riding a trainer are the only ways you can get faster over the winter. Not at all. And that's not at all true. There's a lot of different ways. Um, one thing I will say, if you are going to be using a trainer as a youth cyclist, I wouldn't do it more than two days a week. The rest of the days you should find other things to do. You guys get off school early enough that there's still light outside that you can go out and run or you can go on a hike or you can do something. But, you know, doing the trainer twice a week is, is a good way to keep some of the, I'm going to try to say that word again, peripheral training in. It kind of helps keep those, those um, movements efficient. So if you're doing some of the early season racing, I think it's a, a, a pretty good idea, but, but definitely not requirement. So um, yeah, so there's, you know, we'll talk, we'll keep talking about more ways to get fast over the winter. Uh, again, today we mostly just talked about aerobic training and kind of tried to um, distinguish it from anaerobic type training. And um, I, I hopefully, you know, throughout all our different podcasts, we've pounded in the, the importance of it. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to become aerobically fitter during the winter and continue to improve your VO2 max. Just find something that is interesting to you and that motivates you to get out and do it. Because again, the goal is just to try to, to make a goal to do something every day that's going to make you a better athlete. Preach. So, All right. Well, uh, you'll be hearing more about this. This is the first of many episodes about this kind of thing. If you have any questions, uh, you folks know where to send them. Uh, we're looking forward to States coming up here. We'll have one more show between now and States, I guess. Um, uh, any questions leading up to States, equipment, anything you guys need, uh, we'd love to discuss it. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy the fall riding. Everyone be, uh, be safe, and uh, we will talk to you in a week.